Thank you, guys. As you're being seated, let's take our Bibles this morning and open them to First uh, Kings, First uh, Kings, and uh, chapter 17. Uh, let's make that First Samuel this morning, chapter 17. And uh, as you're opening your Bibles there, let me just uh, again offer a word of welcome that has been given to you by Ken, whether in person or online. We're so grateful that you're a part of our worship experience this uh, morning, and uh, we do hope that you will return this evening, Ford Chapel, at six o'clock. Uh, we will be observing communion together and it's always a very uh, meaningful and special time we'll look forward to seeing you there and you being a part of that and also during the course of this service we do hope that if you have questions about what it is to be a follower of Christ how to become a part of this church family as a follower of Christ just uh, either today during the course of this service during the week just text FL respond to that number 833-571-3475 and we can call you and have a time of of, uh, conversation and prayer with you regarding your decision. We'll look forward to that. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, a passage of scripture that I know is very familiar to, uh, to most if you grew up in the church here in 1 Samuel 17. And uh, it's a part of a series that uh, I'm calling a haunted faith. All of us have experiences in life. Uh, hardships and challenges, seasons uh, through which we have to battle and fight and come out the other side. And sometimes whenever you've gone through such things and you've endured and persevered through such things, it can have a, a very real formative impact upon your life and a reshaping of uh, your life. And that is truly, is certainly true in uh, regard to your faith. And many people are, doubt, are haunted by doubts and fears and uncertainties and questions that they never really address uh, because they think to talk about such things is perhaps a, an indication that they are lacking in faith when nothing is, is further from the truth. And so uh, this morning, I want to talk about faithing our fears because fear is a very real subject. In 2001, popular, he's popular now, popular podcast uh, personality, Joe Rogan, hosted a program called Fear Factor, and it's continued through syndication. It finally, I think, ended its run in 2018 on MTV. But the concept of the show is that you had four competitors uh, competing for a reality show of four individuals competing for a $50,000 prize, and it required of them uh, to face their fears. And usually the show was built around the base fears of uh, you know people who are afraid of water, people who are afraid of heights, people who are afraid of confinement. They would set up these scenarios, and it seemed like there were always rodents involved. You know, there was always rats and mice, or uh, you know, snakes and those sort of sort of things. But but the part that was always uh, I don't know, it, it was just bizarre to me was the part where you had to eat gross things. I mean, like Madagascar cockroaches, you know, you had to eat one. Uh, or, uh, you know, blended cow entrails, uh, raw ostrich egg, uh, maggots, things like that. And so you had to eat those. And, and I always thought it was odd because, uh, you know, it's called reality TV, but, it, but it's not really. I mean, because those kind of things are not reality. You don't face those in everyday life. And the difference was, was on this show, you could actually walk away. You didn't have to face your fear. You could just walk away if you did not want to do it, if you didn't want to participate. Well, life's, life's not like that. Uh, the reality of life is, is that, uh, that there are a great many, if not all of us, who awaken each day uh, to fears. 
fears that haunt us, fears that are always before us, fears that stand like giants in our life. And you can go through the list of things that, that you would fear. I mean, if I was to ask, if we were to take a survey of what is it you're afraid of in this world? I mean, we would have as many opinions as we have personalities present. It is a limited, unlimited list. The war, the economy, uh, your health, your mental health, anxiety, fears, conditions. It is, it is ever going the giants that stand before us in life on a daily basis that we awaken to. And so today's passage is one that I think is, is very timely for us. And by way of introduction, I want us to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17 and listen as I just pick up the story at verse 32. And David said to Saul, may no one's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him for you are only a youth while he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a sheep from the flock. I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his military attire and put a bronze helmet on his head and outfitted him with armor. And David strapped on his sword over his military attire and struggled at walking for he had not trained with the armor. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these because I have not trained with them. And David took them off. Now the scenario, if you're not familiar, there's two armies meeting west of Bethlehem in the valley of Elah. On the one side you had the army of the Philistines, and then on the other side you had the armies of Saul, the armies of, of Israel. And Goliath, this giant of a man, six cubits in a span, about nine and a half feet tall, Goliath steps forth and he's wearing this, this brass helmet, he's wearing a suit of, of chainmail armor, and depending upon whether you, you use uh, the Babylonian scales or the Syrian scales, uh, this chainmail armor weighed anywhere from 90 pounds to 240 pounds. He was holding a spear with an iron head that weighed 600 shekels, either 9 pounds or 26 pounds, either 11 pounds or 26 pounds. And this Goliath, who also had a shield bearer in, in front of him, Goliath stepped forward and proposed the unimaginable, a winner-take-all proposition. Notice in verse 8, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw, to draw up in battle formation? And I am, not the Phil am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man as your representative and have him come down to me. 
If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I have defied the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man so that we may fight together. Then notice in the next verse the response of Saul and Israel. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and very fearful because of what was before them, because of the circumstances in which they now found themselves. They were dismayed and fearful. But then the unimaginable occurs. A young shepherd boy from Bethlehem steps forward and volunteers. This young man has no brass, he has no iron, and yet he would slay the Philistine. All he had ever been was a tender of sheep, but he would slay the Philistine and he would bring Goliath's head and deliver it to Jerusalem. It's a classic story, isn't it? I mean, that's why we love this story. I mean, it's it's the little engine that, that could. This story is a reminder that there's always hope. When we face down our giants as a people of God, as a people of hope, as a people who follow Christ, it's a reminder that there is always hope when we face down our giants. The fears that loom over us. The fears that hold us hostage. The fears that limit our possible, that, that, that keep us from realizing our potential. Those fears that cause us to cower down, to pull the covers up over our head, and to stay home and do nothing. I think in the light of the story, it's a fair question of what are your fears? What are the giants that loom large in your life? Is it a disease? Is it a condition? Is it some unresolved issue? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? It's an unlimited list. But what is it that you awaken to every day that looms large over the horizon of your life? What is it that holds you hostage to your emotions, to the circumstances in which you find yourself? What is it in your life that intimidates you every day? Frankly, I'm intimidated by this story. I'm intimidated somewhat by the confidence, the mature faith of of David. Where a small shepherd boy would emerge out of nowhere, who had only been to the front lines a few times to deliver food to his brothers and the captains of of the army. That someone like him would say in verse 37, the Lord saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He will save me from the hand of the Philistine. And then to declare in verse 45, 
you come to me, he's saying this to Goliath, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a saber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I'm a bit intimidated by that kind of confidence and that kind of mature showing of faith in someone that young. Now what you and I have to battle in the reading of this story, we cannot allow it to degenerate into some kind of moralistic illustration of of good overcoming evil, of how the weak overcome the strong. There is much more to it than that. Because there are very real lessons that we learn from David, that we learn about faith. David offers to us a perspective an understanding and an outlook and an exercising of faith that you and I are called to grasp in our own life. And in trying to grasp this kind of faith that is displayed by by David and the lesson that we can draw from him regarding faith, one of the things is that I would have us to understand is that faith is an enabling reality. See, the faith that David is showing now in the face of this giant, this circumstance, David, the faith that he exercises emerges from an understanding and a view of faith that sees it as an enabling reality. It enables him to face the circumstances, whatever they are and however big they are. Here again, his words in in verse 37. And David said, the Lord saved me from the paw of the lion. The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will save me from the hand of the Philistine. So notice what faith doesn't do. Faith does not eliminate his fear. Faith does not eliminate the circumstance in which he finds himself. But the faith that David now chooses to exercise in his life, in this moment, in this circumstance, it enables him to engage. It enables him to face his fear. And this is something that is prevalent. Did you know when when polling agencies, this is pre-COVID and post-COVID, and I never know how accurate their data is. All of that is driven by, by the size of their data group, their sample group, how many people are surveyed. But every major polling agency in this country, before COVID, pre-COVID, and post-COVID, when they, when they do these polls and they interview individuals and they ask the question, what is the prevailing emotion that you live with every day? Overwhelmingly, The response is fear. Fears that are unknown, fears that are complex, fears that are that are beyond explanation, that are unexplainable, that are unseen. But the prevailing motion of the day in most people's lives is this fear. It seems to be the nature of life. It seems to be woven into the DNA of humanity, this kind of prevailing fear. 
There's a legend in India, a story about a, a mouse who, had a, who lived with terrifying fear of cats. I guess that's what mice do. They live in fear of cats. But one day this magician comes along and, and realizes that this mouse is living in fear of cats. And he says, you know, I will turn you into the very thing that you fear and you will no longer fear. Turns the mouse into a cat and no longer does he have any fear. What a great relief. And then he comes across a dog. And now he is terrified of dogs. And the magician comes along and now changes the cat into a dog. The thing that he feared most. And no longer is he afraid. But then the dog comes across a tiger. And he fears the tiger. Fears the tiger. He's turned into a tiger now. That magician turns him into a tiger. And he's delivered from all fear. No longer is he terrified. And then he meets a hunter. And he is terrified once again. But this time, the magician refuses to change him. He says, even though you look like a tiger on the outside, you still have the heart of a mouse. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? I mean, on the outside, we hold forth that we've got our act together, don't we? I mean, we've got, we've got bravado. We've put, on, we've put on masks so that no one will ever know that, that we live in fear of certain things. Or we buy into the bill of goods that the world is trying to sell us, that if you want to, be, if you want to rule the world, if you want to be on top of the world, if you don't want to be afraid, listen, you chase after and you acquire what the world has to offer you. You get enough power, you won't live in fear. You gather enough enough possessions, wealth, acquire enough of wealth, you'll never have fear. Be popular enough, you won't worry about or be fearful about anything. Ask Stalin how well power, if he was able to speak, you could ask Stalin, how, how much did your power help you in the elimination of fear? His biographer said, none at all. Stalin was at one time, as the premier of the Soviet Union, Soviet Russia, one of the most powerful men in the world, and yet he lived daily with this overwhelming, preoccupying fear of being assassinated. In his palace, he never slept in the same bedroom. Two nights in a row, he was always alternating between the, two, the, the seven bedrooms of the palace so that any would-be assassin would never know where he was. When Stalin traveled from the palace, he always had five limousines, chauffeur-driven limousines, and it was never known in which limousine Stalin could be found. His biographer said that there was one servant a servant in the palace whose sole job is all he did, whose sole job was to guard the tea bags of the premier, to make sure no one ever had access to them so they might put poison in his tea. At the height of power, 
He lived in terror. What about wealth? Material possessions. Maybe that would help us to, to overcome our fear. Ask Howard Hughes how well that worked for him. Billions and billions of dollars. And yet he had this cadaver-like existence when he died in Mexico, fearful of people, terrified of interaction with others, scared to death of germs, had a beard to his belly, emaciated, cadaverish, and corkscrews for fingernails. Billions of dollars, terrified in life. What about popularity? I bet if you're popular enough, you never have to live in fear. Ask John Lennon, if you could, of Beatles fame. His biographer says of Lennon, he could not even go to bed at night. He was afraid to go to sleep if the lights were not on in his bedroom. He was scared to sleep in the dark. And he, too, was scared of the contamination of germs. Popularity, power, prosperity, all of those things that the world promises make you look strong on the outside, but there is still this latent fear that lies beneath. And even though these three personalities had power, even though they had, they had popularity, even though they had, had great wealth, though they had everything the world offered, they had nothing at all. They had nothing of substance, nothing of character, nothing that would offer hope to their life. And yet, for the person of, of faith. It enables you in any circumstance, like David perhaps, to hear the word of the Lord saying and whispering at all times and in all circumstances, fear not, for I am with you. Whatever giant you face, fear not, for I am with you. And upon that is a seminal foundation because, listen, here is the key to overcoming this. If you fear God, and this is the transformational moment for any of us, if you truly fear God, you need not fear anything else. But if you do not fear God, you will fear everything. If you fear God, you will fear nothing else. If you do not fear God, you will fear everything else. David's lesson is, is that faith for us is an enabling reality. But it's also a present reality. And I love this, what David says in verse 46. This day the Lord will hand you. He's speaking to the Philistine. He's speaking to, to Goliath. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you and remove your head from you. Then I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day. Not tomorrow, this day. 
this day to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David gives us this wonderfully rich reminder that today is the day you face your fear. Today is the day that you face your giant. Today is the day that you finally go jaw to jaw with whatever it is that is looming over you in your life. Today, not tomorrow. You see what happens tomorrow is the giant just gets bigger. Whatever giant and whatever you have ascribed to this issue in your life, if you don't deal with it today, your mind's going to make it bigger than it really is. Today is the day to face your giant, your fear, your battle. That's why I love the mantra of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, one day at a time. One day at a time. To say, I'm, no, I'm never going to drink again or ascribe that or say that about anything. I'm never going to do that again. That's too big. It's too big a task. It's too daunting. It's too overwhelming. All you can say is today. I'm going to win today. I'm going to fight the battle today. And when dealing with some giants and some issues, it's about winning the moment. That's one of the things I talk to football athletes about. Like in football, the emphasis isn't on 60 minutes, what's going to happen at the end of 60 minutes. Just win the next five seconds. Average plays between five and six seconds. Win the next five to six seconds. Win this rep. When you think about winning the rep, the 60 minutes will take care of itself. When you play a 60-minute game over three and a half hours, you know you only play actually 11 minutes of football. Every play is only five to six seconds. You only play 11 minutes of football. Just dominate the reps. Dominate the moment. Dominate the opportunity. And it's true in life. Don't think about what, what's life going to be like Oh, next week, next month, next year. We don't know. Just win the day. Be victorious in the day. What you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to confront today. Win the day. Listen, don't be a next Monday guy. Don't be a next Monday person. Don't be a first of the month guy. Oh, I'm going to start that the first of the month. I'm going to start that next Monday. Oh, I'm going to wait till January 1. You know what you find out on January 1? January 1 looks exactly like October 29th. There's absolutely no difference. If something is worth doing on January 1, it's worth doing right now. Win the battle today. All this stuff about starting next Monday, the first of the month, the first of the year, that's the excuse, that's the lameness of the weak-minded. Win today. That's what David said. Today, this is going to happen today. We're not going to try to strategize and come up with something tomorrow. This is going to happen today. And that's the attitude of Jesus over in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was about winning the day. And he gives this wonderful discourse, which I will not read in full. But if you go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, there's this extensive teaching that Jesus offers about staying in the day. Quit worrying about the future, the things that will happen in the future. Look at how God provides for the birds of the the air, the lilies of the field. Their day-to-day existence, they're focused on the day. 
So do not worry, he says in conclusion, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just win the day. And that's what faith offers you. Faith is a present tense reality in your life right now that will help you to win and to dominate over the giants in your life today. You know, I've always had a theory regarding our primary reason for doubting God's provision on a daily basis. And the reason I have it as a theory is because I see it in my own life. This theory as to why we don't really trust God with the day is because we, it, it's the result of our own duplicity. We know that we're withholding from God, that we're kind of hedging our bets a little bit, holding on from God, those things that belong to Him. And, and because we are withholding from God, we speculate He's holding out on us. But He's not. And David found that faith is a present tense reality. But there's a final thing faith is an empowered reality verse 38 then Saul clothed David with his military attire and put a bronze helmet on his head and outfitted him with armor and David strapped on his sword over his military attire attire and struggled at walking for he had not trained with the armor so David said to Saul I cannot go out with these because I have not trained with them and so David took them off then he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the book and brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, that is, in his shepherd's pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Saul's trying to dress him up in all the armor, but what David decided was, you know what, I'm just going to go with what God has provided. I'm going to go with what I have. I'm going to go with what God has provided, and I'm going to trust in his power. I believe there's power in the name of God. There's power in what, in what God desires through his people as we avail ourselves to him. Now, when you read this story, I, I hope that when you read, this is the way I read, I imagine it unfolding in my mind, what this looks like in picture form. And can you imagine how, how ludicrous this must have looked to Goliath from his perspective? I mean, to see this young boy coming towards him with, with a slingshot and a pouch and a staff, I mean, this had to, I mean, from his perspective, this, looked like, this looks like a catamaran approaching a, a, you know, a, a, you know, a carrier, aircraft carrier. In fact, Goliath's even offended by this. So the Philistine, verse 43, said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks and the Philistine cursed David by, by his gods? And David's response is telling in verse 45, but David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a saber, but I come to you. Here's David, David has a sense of being empowered because of his faith. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defy. So when facing in life, when facing circumstances, giants, Things that look unconquerable. When facing circumstances that, that look undoable like this, the unthinkable, faith emboldened and empowered David 
I want you to see how his faith emboldened him and empowered him. And how it moved him from a place, from those who are watching, it moved him because he believed his faith emboldened him and empowered him. David moved from a posture of looking like a victim to now looking like a victor in what God has in store for him. See, that's what our Father has given us. Our Father has given us a faith. He has entrusted us with a faith that that empowers us to face the giants of life regardless of the circumstances. And how often do you find yourself acting out of faith because I have a sense of being empowered by that faith? Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State, U.S. National Security Advisor. I think she's now part of an ownership group for the Denver Broncos, highly successful. Very learned, educated, Ph.D. Condoleezza Rice was raised in Birmingham, Alabama, the segregated South. She tells a story of when she was about 13 years old. She returned home one day brokenhearted because a classmate had moved seats, refusing to be seated next to a black girl. Now, you might have expected that Condoleezza's father would have said to her something like, honey, You know, America's got a long way to go when it comes to equal rights and civil rights. He might have said something like, honey, don't let that bother you. You're as good as any other student down at that school. He may have said those things. I don't know. But what he did say, what she said that he said, in fact, it empowered her. Because what he said as a wise father was really counterintuitive to what you would have expected him to say in those things that that I said he may have possibly said. But what he said to her sounds counterintuitive, but it was empowering. He said, it's okay. It's okay if some closed-minded person doesn't want to sit next to you as long as they are the one who moves. It's okay that some closed-minded person doesn't want to sit next to you as long as they are the one who moves. It's an empowering statement. Because what that wise father was saying to his daughter was you have no control over circumstances. 
You have no control over the things that you are going to face in life. And there are big giants out there like prejudice and ignorance that are daunting. You have no control over the circumstances. But the power you do have is to control your response. How you react to those things. And what was true and what he was saying to his daughter is nonetheless true for any of us. See, we want to think our circumstances in life are biased against us. The things that happen to us in life. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the good and the evil. Listen, church, the circumstances that fall upon us that we face on a daily basis, circumstances are neutral. Life doesn't care. The things that happen to us, disease, heartache, whatever it is, name the circumstance. It's neutral. It doesn't say, I'm going to get Bobby. Circumstances do do not come against you, identifying you by name, saying, I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. I'm prejudiced against them. Circumstances are neutral in life. We have no control over them. But what we do control is the response that we make in the face of those circumstances. In the three pounds of gray matter that God has given you called a brain, in the span of six inches between your ears, it is you that makes the choices and the determinations of how you're going to respond to anything that happens in life. And David chose to respond in faith. And the expectation is that we as followers of Christ, that we will respond in faith and that we will respond in a way that is appropriate and, a, and fitting to the one that has called us and is fashioning us into his likeness but for some of you for some of you that means that like David you will need to take off the armor that you're trying to wear that doesn't fit the bravado the appearance of having it together the mask of success and instead Experiencing and applying a faith that is a present reality, that is an enabling reality, and one that is an empowering reality. That is how you faith your fears. Let's pray together. Our Father, in a world that is dismayed and fearful, Might we be an abiding presence of hope? Might we reflect in the testimony of our faith a living hope, a faith that believes and trusts in God, knowing that wisdom, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Father, we pray that that wisdom might be reflected in our lives, that we might bring hope and light to the world that we might be the light of Christ in a world that is dark, that is so afraid, and that we might be a presence of good cheer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.